Good morning. How's your weekend going? Well, mine's fine, thanks for asking. But could we be a little more narcissistic? Oh, I'm good. Anyways, no pressure. I'm fine, don't worry about me. Great, thank you. Thank you. You're very thoughtful to think of that. Today we're in uh, part three of our series, Right on the Money. And we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you've come, uh, not so that we can take your money, uh, but so that we can encourage you this morning. I hope you're encouraged by the worship, and I trust that you'll be encouraged as we look into the Word again today. So, as I mentioned, this is part three. Uh, next week we'll do part four, and then the following week, right after Thanksgiving, October 18th to 20th, we're going to have something called, are you ready for this? A new season conference. We're thrilled at what God has been doing here at SunWest the past 20 years. But these three days, October 18, 19, and 20, we're going to have a special guest speaker, author, Clive Pick with us, and uh, somebody somebody very graciously inquired this week, you know, Pastor Mark's been teaching us about finance and giving, why would we need a special guest speaker? I'll just say very transparently, I feel like on this topic, compared to the teaching and ministry of Clive Pick, I feel like a baby in the land of giants. Clive has an authority on his life to speak not only to the area of giving, uh, but he's going to stay, not just do the Sunday morning here uh, at Fish Creek Campus, he'll also be heading over to uh, the McKenzie Campus to share there on the Sunday morning of the 18th, and then Sunday night he's going to be with us for Deep Stream, but we're going to extend it by a couple days for Monday night, we're not going to have long services. Uh, but Monday night and Tuesday night, because as we begin to function in obedience, some really incredible things start to happen among God's people. And uh, Clive is going to share some profound thoughts. He also has just a, a sweet touch on his life when he prays with people, when he encourages people. I, I don't know how else to describe it other than really amazing things happen. He has a very prophetic edge to his life and ministry, and uh, he's also a dear friend of my wife and I, and we're delighted that Clive can come and be with us for three days. So I'm, I'm going to ask you now to, maybe you can't come for uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, but if you can come at least Sunday morning and one or two of those other nights, I guarantee you that you will be incredibly encouraged and blessed. So... Just putting it out there, and uh, trust that you'll enjoy that. So as I've mentioned in the first two parts of the series, money is mentioned over 2,000 times in Scripture. And again, our heart is not that we just want your money as a church, but the Scripture talks a lot about money because it's a big deal. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, that's, that's where your heart is. That's how you know where people's priorities are at by how they spend, how they steward their money. So again, our heart for you is for you to be blessed. I don't hesitate to talk about finances because the scripture 
talks about it so much, it mentions it a lot more than major scriptural themes because money is a reflection of our hearts. So in part one of the series, we shared from Malachi 3.10 about bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, which is 10%, that there may be food or provision in the house of the Lord. Not only is it an Old Testament principle, but in Matthew 23, Jesus says, yes, you should have done the greater matters of the law and you should have tithed as well. And in 1 Corinthians 16.2, he talked about, the Apostle Paul talked about setting aside a, a portion, a percentage of your giving. So percentage giving is a fully scriptural concept, Old Testament, intertestamental, and New Testament. The stewards here have Bibles, and as we refer to the scripture this morning, if you don't have a copy, they'd be glad to give you one of these. It's yours to keep, our gift to you, because we believe the scripture is a game changer. We live our lives by the words of Jesus, by the words of God. And Jesus himself taught, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we're, we're one of those Bible-focused churches because we believe you can know the truth and the truth can set you free. The truth is not a book. The truth is a person. And his name was Jesus Christ. And the Bible is the revelation of Jesus. So we're people who live by the word. And again, the word points us to lots of principles about giving. So we covered a lot of those in part one. And then in part two, we shared six thoughts on generosity. I'm not going to recap all of those. They're listed on the screen. And if you weren't here last Sunday, you can, uh, you can actually watch this message online and, and pull the six principles of generosity uh, that we looked at last week. You can pull them out of the notes and, and enjoy them for yourself. Let me just say in part one and part two, I kind of gave you the bare bones of giving. Again, I'm not really hung up on the percentage that you decide to give the Lord, whether it's 10, 12, 14. You can even go an odd number if you want, 13. Pick prime numbers like 13 or 17. Those are all good. I'm not really hung up on the percentage. And I'm not really hung up on how generous you are. I think where we're going in the third part is something that is fundamentally lost on our generation. Here's where we're going today after talking about tithing in part one and generosity in part two. Today we're going to look at <clears throat> sacrifice. This one's a little tougher. I mean, let's be honest, there's lots of people in this room you could give, give away 10% of your income and hardly blink an eye. There's some that could even give 20 or 30 or more and still be fine. But as I talk to you about the spirit of sacrifice, essentially what I'm going after today is being like Jesus. I mean, this one's huge. Years ago, my wife and I were on a missions-related trip heading up to England. 
and we were driving from Germany. And we decided to take the channel drive rather than fly over to England. And on that trip, we were driving through the north of France near Calais, where you pick up the channel and go underneath the French channel. And littered across the countryside are literally millions, probably billions of poppies. I mean, I'd learned about it in school, right? In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly. Scarce heard amid the guns below, we are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If you break peace with us who die, we shall not sleep. Though poppies grow in Flanders fields. I'd heard the Robert McRae poem since I was, what, seven, eight, nine years old. But there's something about driving through the north of France and seeing the poppy, crimson-stained fields. And seeing them blow in the breeze, they're beautiful. But getting the comparison of the poppies and the blood that was spilled by our Canadian boys so that we could be free from tyranny and oppression. I'll be honest with you. As a white, middle-class, suburban, Canadian kid, I have no idea what sacrifice meant for them. When I think of their pain, when I think of the weather conditions and the misery that they fought through. When I think of their selflessness as they charged both in the First and Second World Wars, as they charged the beaches of France. And without hesitation, not only did they sign up, listen to me, they followed through. Honored to lay down their lives so that you and I wouldn't have to speak German. Wow. So when I talk about giving and I talk about a tenth, I kind of get a feeling I'm getting off the hook. When I talk about being generous, again, I feel like I've been walking down easy street. When I look at this story found in 1 Chronicles, chapter 21, 
something stirs in my heart. It's a powerful story. It's a story of a census, King David. I don't know what's going on in his life, but even though there's 1.1 million capable fighting men in Israel, there's something that's insecure that stirs up in his heart. And he says to Joab, the commander of his troops, I want you to go out and number the fighting men in Israel. So Joab, against his better wishes, he goes and counts the men on behalf of the king. 1.1 million capable fighting men. And then Gad, the seer, the prophet, he hears from God. And God passes on this message that David, in doing so, has sinned greatly. I'll, I'll come back to this and unpack this in a few minutes. So Gad comes to the king and says, King David, I've heard from the Lord. Our nation has sinned greatly in counting the fighting men. So... The Lord has given us three choices. Do you want three years of famine? Do you want three months of being pursued and slaughtered by your enemies? Or do you want three days under the hand of the sword of the Lord? And David said, wow. Actually, it's not recorded in scripture that he said, wow. That's my extrapolation of his response. David says, three years of famine, wow, a lot of people would die. Three months of my enemies pursuing me, that would really be bad. You know what? As bad as three days under the hand of the sword of the Lord sounds, I'm going with that one because I'd rather be in the hands of the Lord because he's merciful than in the hands of man who's not. So I'll take the three days under the hand of the sword of the Lord. So after a couple days of this, 70,000 men have been killed. Incredible story in scripture. And in this moment, David is, I mean, on behalf of his people, he's grieved, he's broken. And here we are now, the story where we pick up the story here in 1 Chronicles 21. They're at the threshing floor. Threshing is where they separate the wheat from the um, chaff. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, somebody's listening. Beautiful. So at the threshing floor, they'd literally take these huge screens and throw the wheat up in the air. And is it came back down to the ground, the chaff would blow away and they'd be left with uh, the wheat. Or they'd have threshing sledges where they would literally drive over top of the wheat with these heavy weights and break the wheat away from the kernel and uh, the chaff. And the, again, the chaff would blow away and they'd throw it up in the screens. And So Aruna had this property where he would have literally probably dozens of workers 
threshing the wheat, the threshing floor of Aruna. And that's where we pick up the story and you see it on the screen. And while Aruna was threshing wheat, David said to him, let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Because what David had seen just two verses earlier was this angel standing between heaven and the city of Jerusalem with his sword drawn. He'd stopped because the Lord had spoken to the angel and said, stop killing people. Because the Lord himself was grieved so he commands the angel to stop, and David sees the angel standing there, stopped with the sword still out, and David's like, which in the original Hebrew is, <clears throat> so the angel stopped, but look at this phrase at the end of verse 22. David said, sell me your property, sell me your threshing floor, sell it to me at full price. So Arunah said to King David, take it. Let my lord, the king, do whatever pleases him. Look, I'll give you oxen for the burnt offerings. I'll give you the threshing sledges for the wood. I'll give you the wheat for the grain offering. You can have all this. I'll give it to you. But David the king replied to Arunah, no. I insist on paying full price. I will not take for the lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. I'll not offer anything that costs me nothing. Whew. So verse 25, David paid Aruna 600 shekels of gold for the site. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And he called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. And then the Lord spoke to the angel. And he put his sword back in its sheath. At that time when David saw the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, he offered sacrifices there. By today's standards, that 600 shekels of gold, David paid about $320,000 for the property. In its day, that property was probably worth Eight, maybe ten thousand dollars. Hmm. So here's what I want to go this morning. I want to follow this simple outline. I want to talk to you just briefly as we recount the story. I want to talk about the sin. I want to talk about the sacrifice, three areas of sacrifice, self, sight, and shackles. And then lastly, I want to talk to you about the sword in the sheath. So today's message is brought to you by the letter S. First of all, I want to talk to you about the sin. First Chronicles 21.7. When David commanded his fighting men to be taken, the number of them taken in a census, it says this command was evil in the sight of God. That kind of got me wondering, like, what's so bad about counting? One, two, three, four. I mean, the count, at least in Sesame Street standards, he was a hero. It was a good thing to count. 
I mean, David's just being ready. He's just being responsible. And yet the scripture says that not only this was not wise or, you know, lacking sense or wisdom, it comes out very clearly and says it was the command Dave gave to count the fighting men was evil in the sight of God. Why is it bad to be prepared? Why is it bad to be knowledgeable of what your resources are? Well, specifically because God had said to David, don't do this. And specifically, a demonic entity had incited David, it said in verse 1, had incited David to count. Can I just say here in the city of Calgary, that demonic entity is alive and well. Be prepared. Be safe. Make sure you're in charge. Make sure your ducks are in a row. Make sure your mortgage is paid down. Make sure your savings account is high so you have money to have fun. Again, I'm not saying that's necessarily always a sin, but in David's case, responding, and here's the issue, Responding to this self-assuredness, this self-dependency, in David's case, the scripture calls it evil and sinful. And and what the demonic entity is challenging here in David is, who's in control here, you or God? And again, that's where we've been in the first two parts of the series. Do I trust God or not? Am I in charge? Or is God in charge? I know I have lots of money in the bank. I know I have lots of fighting men. And here's where you cross the line. I really don't need God. I really don't need his blessing. I'm good. I know because I get sucked into that all the time. You know what, whether I'm tithing or not, I still get sucked into this way of thinking, okay, 10%, I'm free of the guilt. I did that Old Testament biblical thing. I, I don't know, I hope I've abated the divine wrath of God. I have given my 10, again, this is what I want you to see. It's fear based that it's not so much the superficiality of knowing what your bank account is or no knowing how many fighting men you have it's living by a spirit of fear because the scripture makes it clear second timothy 1 7 god hasn't given us a spirit of fear see fear puts you in control of your life rather than him and again i get sucked into this all the time I'm in charge. I've got my ducks in a row. In a row. I, I, I'm good. Like, I'm independent. I'm, I'm fine. And the essence, again, I'm not, I'm not going after the legalism here. I'm not going after 
you know, not knowing what your bank account... I, I don't want to be petty about this. It's the spirit, it's the attitude that lies below the surface that gets confronted in David's life. Who's in control here? Is it, is it me or is it God? The scripture calls that sin. Wow, I said the S word on a Sunday morning. Secondly, there's this sacrifice. And first of all, there's the sacrifice of self. David said to God, you know what? I have sinned greatly by doing this. David actually owns his sin. And then again, in verse 17, David, rather than blaming the Israelites, rather than blaming everybody else, he says, was it not I? He owns his sin. It's not just of self, it's, it's about the site that he's on, the threshing floor of Aruna. You see there in verse 22, David says, initially has, he says, let me have this site, but he's not asking for a gift because in verse, um, yeah, later in the verse, he offers to pay for it. In 2 Chronicles 3.1, Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David. So this is what I want you to see is Solomon, a generation later, builds the temple, check this out, on the property, on the real estate, on the site of sacrifice. It was on the threshing floor of Arunah that the Jebusite, the place provided by David, again, he sacrificially overpaid for this piece of property. Wow. And then not only is there a sacrifice of self, of David owning it, not only a sacrifice of the site, but of shekels. David paid Arunah 600 shekels of gold for this site, it said in verse 25. As I mentioned earlier, $320,000 for a property that was probably worth between six and 8000 of our dollars today. Yeah. I don't know about you, but can I just be really honest with you? Sometimes, like, I'll help others, I'll do nice things for people that's, they're just inconvenient for me. Or I have this other extreme that I'm glad to just throw money at it. You're at my door, you want money? Here, take some money, go away. Leave me alone. I don't want your cookies. But usually I'm, there's something I'm guarding. Either I'm guarding my money, so I'll give my time, or I'm guarding my time, so I'll give my money. It seems like I can't just full out come and be selfless and sacrifice. I feel like I'm quite often holding something back. I'm not proud of that. 
That's not how Jesus gave. Pastor Matt prayed something before the service. just like, oh, and then, oh. He said, Jesus, thank you that when you came, you didn't come on the cross and just give a tenth. You gave everything. And here again, here is the spirit of David, the king, the leader of an entire nation who time after time he typifies Jesus Christ. And Arunah says to him, my lord, the king, you want to make a sacrifice? You want to make this right before God? Cool, I'll hook you up. Here's everything you need, dude. And David stops. He says, wait a second. I, I insist on paying full price because I will not offer anything that costs me nothing. And I think I am so not that guy. Like my heart is laid bare. I think, yeah, if I can get 10% off, 20% off, great. If I can get 50, 70, 90% off, I'm in. And David models this. I'm not going to offer anything that costs me nothing. I insist on paying full price. Last week we touched on giving out of convenience. Going to the food bank with lima beans. And today I want to ask you the very hard question. Do we give out of convenience? Or do we offer everything to God? I remember Tony Campolo used to occasionally sing this song, Jesus paid a tenth, a tenth to him I owe. Again, I appreciate tithing, I appreciate generosity, but when I look at sacrifice, something in me says, oh, Jesus, help me. I got a long ways to go. But this is what the scripture calls us to. Jesus said, if, if any man would come after me, he said in Mark 34, he must deny himself. Say no, like shout no at his way of doing things. Take up his cross. If I can put that in modern language, he must grab his electric chair. He must take hold of his lethal injection and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said these words, when, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Hmm. I 
I grew up in a town called Port Colborne, Ontario. It's at the southern terminus of the Welland Canal. The Welland Canal is the canal that takes ships from Lake Erie down to Lake Ontario. It's a wonderful thing because it passes Niagara Falls. So this town I grew up in had these great lakers going through our town, through the canal all the time. The town also had lift bridges where roads would cross the canal. These lift bridges would lift right up and ships would pass by. So I remember hearing this story as a young boy and being profoundly impacted by it, the story of the train bridge operator. As the ship was coming this one particular day, he had told his son, never play anywhere near the bridges. But his boy had inadvertently lost a ball and chased it down into the mechanism underneath the bridge. And as the ship was approaching, the alarm sounded and the bridge started to go down and the boy's coat or jacket was caught in the gears of the bridge. And as the bridge, sorry, the bridge was going up, as the bridge started to go up and the boy was pulled into the mechanisms, his friends all screamed and called out and said, you have to stop, you have to stop. And some distance away, the, the train was coming, but the train bridge operator had to make a decision in, in the instant of if he stops the train bridge from coming down, his boy caught under there. Or all the people coming on the train and train crashes into the canal and in an instant the train bridge operator had to make a decision to lower the bridge to save all the people and he did and the bridge went all the way down the train came and safely crossed And I remember even as a young boy thinking, that'd be a difficult decision to make. To sacrifice your own son to save those people. It's not just a story, this actually happened. That the father sent his son. The son said willingly, yeah, I'll do it, father, to save the world, God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't die but have everlasting life. And the spirit of David, I will not offer anything that costs me nothing. 
Thirdly, and finally, the sheath, the sword in the sheath. Verse 27, the Lord spoke to the angel and the angel put his sword back into its sheath. That's what I love about David is he, he actually made this choice. Rather than three years of famine or three months of oppression from the enemy, David said, uh, I'd rather trust myself into God's care because God is merciful. And David watched as the angel not just stopped slaughtering but kept his sword out. The angel took his sword and put it in its sheath. Not only did he stop killing, but he, he, he stopped with his future intent to kill anymore. It's away. It's in its sheath. David knew God well enough to know that God would be merciful. Hmm. And if you haven't picked it up yet so far in this series about finances, can I just say God is not angry? <laughs> if you're here today and you haven't been giving, if you're here today and you haven't been tithing, if you're here today and maybe just occasionally put money in the offering or not at all. Can I just say God's not angry? If God was angry, you would know. You'd be a little pile of ash. Or you'd be smitten by lightning. Or something that would kind of help you understand. That's what I want you to see is God is not angry. He's not even a little bit ticked off. This is about relationship. This is about his kids trusting him. Not just with our mouths, but once again saying, God, I believe Rather than keeping 100% to myself and being self-sufficient and doing it on my own, I believe I'll do better if I give you 10% right off the top and live off of 90. But today as we talk about sacrifice, I want you to know if it hurts to give 20%, not just to church stuff, not just 10% to your church or 20% to your church, but 10% to your church and then 20% to whatever else God asks you to give to. Missions, humanitarian efforts, supporting other charities or ministries. That's beautiful. But, but again, I can do even more by keeping 70 and giving away 30 or 60. 60 for me and giving away 40. That's God math. And again, if I can be brutally honest, it's a lot easier to just live in convenience. It's a lot easier just to hold on to everything for me and give God nothing. It's easier to test his kindness and his patience. But he's not angry. 
he has loved us with a love that won't quit. But here's the caveat. He says, test me. Test me. Which is odd because he says earlier in the Old Testament, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But here he offers this one exception in Malachi 3.10. Test me and see if I won't bless you so much you won't be able to handle it all. He invites us into the economy of faith. Not figuring it out, but faith. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know how I'll do better. Like if I, I think I'll do best if I hold on to 100% of what my resource. But, but by faith, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to give 10% or 15 or 18 or 20 or 25 or 27. or God, I'll do whatever you're asking me to do. Trusting. Trusting you. And if you're here this morning, and like me, you have a tendency to just hold on to what you have, I want to encourage you to try opening your hand. Try trusting God. If you've never set aside 10% of your income for SunWest before, I want to challenge you this morning to make it an issue of prayer. Consider going online this afternoon and committing, signing up to weekly or monthly, whatever, giving 10% of your income right off the top. Test him and see if he won't bless you. I have found him to be true every time. That doesn't mean we haven't had difficulties. doesn't mean we haven't had financial challenges. But when I look at the big picture, God's been faithful every time. Over 30 years that I've been in ministry, he's been faithful every time. Ever since I was a young boy, tithing and honoring God with my finance, every time he's been faithful. Let me close with these verses, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. Again, speaking of the Macedonian churches in verse 3. I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. These are the people that maybe didn't make first century headlines, but they're written about in scripture. They're historical heroes. The people in Macedonia, because they didn't give out of convenience, they gave even beyond their ability. I want to invite the worship team to come. And as they do, let me remind you of these words, not from John F. Kennedy.
And so now, my fellow Christians, ask not what the kingdom can do for you. Ask what you can do for the kingdom. Will you just bow your heads in a moment of prayer and reflection? Father, your word is forever written in heaven. and It's great when we can get together on Sundays and laugh and have fun as we learn. But this morning is profoundly sobering as we think about David and how he gave. I will not offer anything that costs me nothing. And so we remember Jesus. And as Paul encouraged us, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We just want to say thank you for Jesus. Again, thank you, Father, that he didn't give a bit. He gave it all. We don't aspire today to be something special or something unique. We just aspire to be like your son. Father, forgive us for withholding. Forgive us for hoarding. Forgive us for this propensity we have to have it all figured out, all our ducks in a row. Have our retirement savings all laid out. And yet not necessarily consider the poor and the orphan and the widow. Lord, we know there's benefit in preparing for the future. We know there's wisdom in setting aside so that we can give our kids an inheritance. Your scripture teaches that. But Father, forgive us for not trusting you. Forgive us for setting something aside for a rainy day and yet being oblivious to the rain that is all around us to the need, the hurt, the lack. Father, we don't want to be like those priests, those religious guys heading down the Jericho road and ignoring the guy beat up and hurting. It took a man with no religious background, the Samaritan, to be good, to pick that guy up, to pour oil and wine into his bruises and cuts and put him on his donkey and take him to a hotel and say, hey, the bill's on me. Lord Jesus, we hear the clear exhortation to go and do likewise. You'd rather have us be like the Samaritan than like the religious people who didn't have the time of day. Father, we say a collective ouch this morning.
Father. In the sobriety of this moment, we ask, please, would you have mercy on us? God, we don't want to be selfish. We don't want to be self-absorbed people. SunWest, we are, we are a culture of generosity. God, that's what we want. We want to be generous. We want to be giving. But above all, we put our hearts on the altar this morning and say it's yours, God. Everything, everything about us, everything that we've ever been, everything that we presently are, everything that we will ever be, it's yours. God, we don't want to be people of lip service who, who talk about doing good and talk about being generous and talk about being faithful with our finances. But inside, we're greedy, we're hoarding, we're mean-spirited, we're selfish, we're self-consumed. Forgive us, God. We throw ourselves at your mercy and ask you today to cover us with your grace because by nature, we tend towards selfishness. We're all like sheep. We've, we've gone astray. We just quickly turn to our own way. And today, Lord, we say enough. We confess our sin to you. We renounce it and say, take everything. Take it all. Consume us, God, with a spirit of sacrifice. Not because it's the law, not because we gotta, not because we oughta, but because our hearts are so sold out for you that we can't help but give you everything and hold nothing back. We confess today that we trust you, that you are our God. Forgive us for playing games. We offer it fresh, all of it, to you today. I want to invite the communion stewards, if you would come. I can't think of a more appropriate way to end this service than just remembering the death of our Lord. If you're visiting here today, if you have a home church, if you consider yourself a believer, that Jesus is the priority, number one, Lord of your life. We invite you to join with us. And as the communion stewards come this morning, the worship team plays, I'll ask you please to hold the two symbols, the bread, the cracker, and the cup. If you would just hold them for a few minutes until everyone is served, and then in a few minutes' time, we will eat the bread and drink the cup together. Go ahead, worship team. Thanks, Dan. For I received from the Lord, the Apostle Paul said, what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, 
as my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Can we eat of the bread together? And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying this this cup is the new covenant in my blood in my blood in the book of Hebrews it says that the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood in the temple imagery and it says without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness the implication there is if there's not death involved not just a little bit not not just a little cut but the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness without death there's no forgiveness and Jesus said this cup is the new covenant is the new agreement this is the new contract sealed with my death in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me because whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's drink the cup together and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Would you stand with me, please? Father, today I declare over these saints that they don't have to give an offering to make you smile. They don't have to give a percentage of their income to bring you pleasure. Because sacrifices and offerings you did not require. But you invite us into a place of trust. Into a place of simple obedience where we say, yes God, I trust you. I lay down not just a little bit, not just a tenth. I lay down everything at your feet. Father, there's such freedom in that. As the Apostle Paul said, because you died for us, we no longer have to live for ourselves. Thank you that we have been freed from selfishness. And thank you, Lord, that as you challenge us to live a life of sacrifice, we get our eyes off ourselves and we get our eyes on you. And so I call every eye to attention in Jesus name I call the spirit man of every believer in this house to focus on Jesus the author and finisher of your faith I declare over you today you are not alone you are not abandoned you are not broken or destroyed you are beloved children of God and because you have given yourself wholeheartedly to him I decree over you today the fullness 
of his redemptive purposes. That you would know what it means to walk in health and peace and life and freedom. That everything that you've laid aside for him would be returned to you, multiplied back to you, and that his kingdom would come, his will would be done in you, and that you would be free to live your lives for him without hesitation, without reservation, because you have been purchased, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with everything that is in you, heart, soul, mind, and strength to give your life as a sacrifice and an offering to him that his light could be shed and spread through you to others, that the life and purposes of God would abound in your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, that people around you would see a testimony of hope and truth and light. I thank you, Father, that you have already begun this transformation and that it is spreading. I thank you that there is this unquenchable fire, the light of Jesus Christ burning in us. And we say again, we are yours. We are yours. Go ahead, would you just whisper that to him today? I'm yours. I'm yours, Father. I'm yours. Thank you, Father, that you cover us with your peace. You cover us with your grace. You cover us with your blessing. We decree life and light all over the people of God in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As you go, would you take your cups with you and deposit them in the garbage? That would just help us a lot. If you need prayer today, ministry team is over here delighted to pray with you. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Have an incredible week.